0: The difference between um, non-attachment and alienation—it's quite important to, to know because these are these are actually direct opposites, and yet they can, we can get confused. We practice non-attachment; and it can be a kind of an alienation experience, it's like a rejection of everything, or. We think we're practicing non attachment, and it's really trying to push everything away from us, not wanting to be bothered. Uh, kind of it's like feeling of mild contempt, even for the world, or oneself, or humanity, or worldly activities don't want to be bothered, don't like it, waste of time, futile. So we can feel this may be, may think this is a kind of non-attachment. Actually it's more like alienation, separation, because one feels oneself to be other than, to be separate from, feels a very strong sense of oneself is delineated by our feeling of not being this not wanting to be that there's a, there's a pulling away from So there's an attachment in a way to being other than things that occur I am other than this or I want to be other than this so this is attachment and alienation non attachment is when this activity is put aside or ceases or is relinquished or is relaxed the feeling of wanting to be other than or wanting to be these two powerful forms of self creation wanting to belong to wanting to have or wanting not to belong to not to have when these two forms can be relinquished or the practice of relinquishing and relaxing those drives is called non-attachment non-attachment really refers to the particular psychological activities and drives that we begin to get a closer recognition of when we practice meditation we sit in silence and and watch and contemplate how things affect us. The energies there, the pushing away, the clawing after, the longing for, the holding on, the searching for a position. And we can always back these up with laudable views. You know, the position I want to be in is a being calm and serene and, you know, steady in this. And what I don't want to be associated with is is noise and Unclear, uninspiring things. These are, of course, good enough ideas. On the level of, of indirect experience, the level of what we conceive of, these are correct. These may be reasonable aspirations for practice. On the level of indirect, Conceivable, planable aspiration, but when it comes down to direct experience in the moment, now, when we're hearing something, feeling something, and not wanting to be hearing it or feeling it, is suffering, isn't it? It's not not suffering. It's not the way out. It's suffering, and it's it's an alienation, and there's a very strong drive occurring not a sense of relaxation or peace or ease but a kind of tenseness and a holding holding ourselves or trying to hold a position away from things And in that position i feel i am or could be or should be or would like to be in that position away from things and a uh, good certainly this this um, way of relating to experience can be, isn't always unseated or changed by meditation. Sometimes it's even backed up by it, by at least the idea of meditation, the thought of meditation, the concept of it. Surely it's about getting away, sitting on your own, closing your eyes, shutting things off, becoming quiet, isn't it? well yeah that's a good start It's a good enough that's a good enough way of describing it as a kind of an entrance and yet of course meditation puts us more directly in contact more directly aware, vulnerable to affected by sounds, sights of course but then even more powerfully memories and the Mind consciousness, with its uh, unresolved hungers and uncertainties and unresolved businesses, though we can find that perhaps in a particularly when you when you're living a contemplative life, then. One feels one's meditation has gone astray sometimes when you just uh you know if you're not living this that particular life if you're just, you you just kind of put stuff away for a for a week or so and and then put things down and, and go and just practice meditation exercises it's, it's quite enhancing you feel quite hmm, this is good stuff you know your mind gets clear and bright and you concentrate and you Get sort of refined and blissful, and you wonder why some monks don't some don't look very happy, and even experience some, some surprise to 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 when you hear that maybe that you know they don't always feel very glad or joyful or concentrate. In fact, nodding is sort of slightly listing to starboard or port <laughs> as they sit, and they're nodding, looking a bit grim. So why you not they know they've got all this more time to actually get into this concentration and blissfulness? Why they don't seem to be doing it very well? Are they just the, you know, are they people who can't meditate very well? That's why they become monks or isn't it perhaps that just something bigger has happened and uh, you know, it's much more in a no control situation where a lot of one's abilities to determine what we're going to be aware of and when and how are taken away from us so there's, there can be this tr- very powerful feeling of like a humiliation disempowerment you are choosing ways of being able to determine what and where we're going to focus can suddenly be can be gradually or suddenly taken away from us and then in that uh, because we're not being able to decide when we sit, and when we walk, and where we do it. And in so many other ways in our life, it's been taken away, or we put it away, we've agreed to, to, to undertake this kind of training, and suddenly you're, you're all together all the, so much of the time. And we have to keep going towards things, you know, every day, same routines. And uh, giving up personal little, seemingly harmless little idiosyncrasies and habits and titbits and trinkets and treats, which all seem quite small and you know, no big thing, until you give them up, or you, you haven't taken away, then you, you recognize that a lot of, uh, a lot of um, personal freedom is expressed through these small tokens. When we don't have that anymore, then uh, it's like a, there's a vulnerability and your attention can't be, t- can't be moved on, can't be moved around onto pleasant things or enjoyable things at will. So we have to just experience like a, a dull day, or strange, restless feeling. You know, and just be with that, or a feeling of not getting anywhere. And just kind of experience that for hours, or pain, or cold. Just be with that for for a long time, and it's not just for a few days, but for like for for years of this kind of uh, input. <laughs> of no, it's not all that. You know, it's not that dreadful in itself. But what is, you know, it's quite minor things. So it's hardly the things themselves. It's just the feeling that comes home is you do not have any, you don't have any say over it. That's the most dreadful thing. That's the thing that we don't recognise how what a, how powerful that is until it's not there anymore. Mm. Like when you decide to fast, you can go without food. But if the food doesn't turn up and you haven't decided, suddenly it's suffering. <coughs> if, you, if you're expecting it, or you don't know when it's going to come. But if, you decide, you know, if you've made the free choice not to, then it's different from if it's, it happens to you at any time. Imagine going through the Bindabad line, getting your arms bowl in front of you, and somebody coming along and taking it away from you be different from not eating, wouldn't it, if you decided not to eat today, you'd feel quite good. But if you went through their arms round, got your food, put your bowl down and somebody came along, took hold of you with one hand, pushed you away and took your arms bowl away. It'd be terrible. They did that every day. So that that's the that's the difference, is that one is that the sense of loss of loss of Power, personal power, and personal choice. Sometimes, in the experience of meditation itself, uh, it's just the dealing or experiencing the mind when it's not, not lovely and not nice and not interested and there isn't any way to distract oneself to find something else to go to we can make a tremendous amount of suffering out of that out of it just not being very nice not terrible but just not very nice even though we're physically well uh, you know we have everything we need And we're not experiencing, say, acute pains or despair or anguish or blame or anything. We're just having a mind that doesn't feel very nice. feels kind of restless and dull and dreary and yucky. Uh, There can be a tremendous amount of suffering in that. Because of wanting to not be there with it, of not being able to have something that we want, a feeling we have something we don't want and when you look into that experience you see that the alienation is the suffering the sense of being separate from the experience and not wanting it is the suffering that the suffering is being continually created from something and it's a stubbornly saying no I don't no stop it oh shut go away no no you know, that feeling is, that's pushing away, not accepting it, not allowing it, not, you know, or kind of half allowing it in a grudging way, in a sort of dreary, resigned way. There's still even that sense of a sort of phlegmatic resignation, where our energies just go very dull and we get bored. There's still a, a sense something is pulling away from it. Something is saying, I don't want to be this, I don't want to have this. If I just sit here long enough, I guess it will go away. It's still like that, isn't it? That's what I mean by separation. Separation always gives rise, is always based upon the feeling of self, me. Separation is about suffering and it's about attachment. Now, attachment we can see in Pali language is interesting, it can use these uh, terms as either nouns and, or verbs. Now, attachments can be seen as things, or attachment can be seen as an activity. So when, it's, uh, when attachment is uh, a things, these are called upadi, which means we may be attached to various sense objects, Television, songs, um, you know, things of that nature, particular things. And we feel, well, you know, we decide we'll give up that, and we'll give up this, and we'll give up that. These are our attachments. But what doesn't stop with that is the, is the underlying process of attaching. The attachments are the result of the process of attaching. Attaching and attaching just doesn't finish when one puts aside some attachments some things. It continues it just ferrets around for something else. Attaches to immaterial things like solitude or quiet ideas and views, philosophies, notions, stances, characteristics. Mm. It to, the atta- attachment continues, and if we decide to give up the material, it goes to the immaterial. Mm. So non-attachment is really about non-attaching and which it comes from really understanding that that process and how we look at the we can question the sense of self, either what I am or what I'm not. Even when we say I'm not this I don't want to be this. It's still we're making ourselves something other than that's what's happening. So separation, and when there's, to to the untrained one mind that's not completed its its understanding, then we let the. Um, the feeling is that if we just never separate ourselves from what's painful then we'll be okay. That's, that's the motivation of our life, is to become separate from painfulness, unpleasant things. We shun things, we don't look at things, we forget things, we dismiss things, we deny things exist. Obvious things, unpleasant features of what we regard as unpleasant features of our bodies, or bodies of others a death process a decaying aging process we uh, uh, as, a, as a general society we kind of seem to managed to avoid or not face up to recognize the, the uh, effects of our life on the planet and shrug it off or think of something else. There's a lot of not facing up to, not, not recognizing, ignoring. And the, even though intellectually we may recognize we have to deal with things that, that essentially on a, on a kind of emotional inner level there's a feeling of you know to to associate with what's unpleasant is is wearying painful dreadful, and that we can find if we can separate ourselves from that we'll we'll be kind of okay so uh, our ideas of a retreat are sometimes rather like that aren't they separate itself from what's tedious or boring or aggravating ideally a desert island or you know, some lovely forest idyll A lovely it would be just kind of to some sun-kissed tropical island live on one's own eating mangoes and coconuts swimming in the sea not being bothered and because in the sense of being able to separate from the unpleasant we also will be permanently united with the pleasant. This is the the great dream, great hope. In meditation we're actually coming up, witnessing that process, that, that psychological process of separation, resistance to things, not wanting them, shutting them down, trying to shut down and how it makes us dull and frightened, and cowering, tense, shrunken, contracted. Sometimes people get really dim on retreats, like uh, stu- actually stupid you know, not noticing what's going on because the whole system has gone into this kind of contraction mode. So our bodies can actually phys- sometimes just physically contract and tense up or we don't notice things you know, simple daily chores or routines or people's needs or whatever we can be oblivious to them not because of any malevolence but just because our whole system's gone into a kind of denial mode uh, shut off mode as a, as a way of trying to survive and cope In, in, so it, the encouragement is really to, to get in touch, to, to acknowledge even though it's maybe not a very tranquilising experience or a very gratifying, on, on the initial level anyway, experience to actually get in touch with the, the unloved. The resisted the longing of the heart, or the restlessness of it to call it back. So it's not just even objects anymore, it's not people and things and places, it's just that the very feeling. Which you know, why why is it when we sit in the meditation hall, we remember, you know, an old friend of ten years ago, remember old girlfriends or boyfriends, or you know, we loved, or you now we can long for them again. Why now? You don't do it when you're eating the meal, do you? when things are pleasant. Only doesn't actually. Long for <laughs> these things. It's only when suddenly, you know, you, it's, it shows you how it's conditioned just by the uh, the experience of trying to find something pleasant to long to hang on to. This is a ta- attachment. This is the action of attaching, searching for something to attach to become another attachment. I mean if we actually can really directly experience suffering then the profound and indeed easy to perhaps easy to conceive of, but very extraordinarily difficult to accomplish, is to directly understand, to open up to, to recognize, to home in on, to focus on, feel out the quality of Dukkha. Not why, not, you know, why am I suffering, not, you know, not particular objects, just the very, the feeling of it, the, the beating in the heart that wants to move away, or the clawing that wants to hold on, just that, that very energy movement. And it's this, isn't it? And we, we stop trying to hope it would be otherwise, but just to really recognize that. Then we stop suffering, because when it's just this, then there isn't something else that it should be. So then, then it stops. This is why the understanding of suffering and the origin of suffering and the cessation of suffering and the path are all, all the same thing. Because if we really experience it directly, which is the path, is to lead us to that direct experience, it's a kind of way of leading it to, to it, and enhancing the faculties and the qualities that will make us able to be that direct and that sensitive and that disciplined then the direct experience of it as it is is putting aside the cause of it which is the running away, the chasing after, the denials the I want to be's, the I don't want to be's, the remembering the good times of five years ago. So this is those those are put aside, relinquished, because of that the suffering stops. About the pain, the real dukkha, is alienation, which is happening not just on an external level from people and things, but internally also, in the alienation, into this strange dualistic experience of being me and my mind, as two separate things, and me trying to deal with my mind, or my feelings me and my feelings in there somewhere and another me watching it all going on this kind of sort of schizoid existence alienation and the path is about a wholeness And but then the experience of wholeness is not of getting a big me to stick it all together like a super me or a me that manages to beat all the, the other bits out so it takes over so we've got a kind of big whole me there but actually of release from that way of experiencing things in terms of me so the, the me, when the me disappears then the wholeness is there we see self in three, three ways as the self experience in terms of things that are mine which always relates to the objects, then something that's me, which is the agent, the actor, the seeming subject, and then self, which is the agent's view, or the agent, the traces, the footsteps, the shadow of the agent, myself. So, putting things aside as mine, is easier than me. Like we can, can recognise that this place isn't mine, this house isn't mine, this person isn't mine, maybe this clothes aren't mine, maybe this body isn't mine. But then there's still me making those statements. And sometimes that me can be doing deals, saying, well, if I give up the body, maybe I'll have the mind. If I give up you know, the world, maybe I'll have nirvana instead. I'll give up this, I'll, I'll swap it for that. I'll be this. I'll give up that and I'll be enlightened instead. So just abandoning things as mine has to be done in a very thorough way. It's like, you know, not only is the world not mine, but the nirvana's not mine. Not only the noise isn't mine, but the silence isn't mine either. And to to really un- point to the way that the the attaching experience can continually fu- recede or find a new position to place itself to belong to and say, this is me i'm watching this is me i'm not that this is me i'm letting go of this this is me i'm doing this this is and even to the point this is me even our suffering becomes something we own this is me i'm suffering is my suffering so you get into this kind of view where even in even in thinking that we're understanding suffering we keep going back to the sense of me and my suffering which is because of all the stupid things I've done or the crummy kind of mind I've got or the polluted soul or the wacky heart that I have you know who knows maybe zillions of lifetimes of doing this And we actually, we can do that, or something that can do that, and create a tremendous sense of of gloom and fatalism and persecution and being a victim. Just still to retain the sense of me. It's that powerful. That even punishment. Is better than nothing. <laughs> so the last, the last possibility for me, is suicide. It's my last, my last position, which uh, you know is not just a physical thing, but it's the the. But in some way, in the psychologically, we're committing suicide a lot of the time. There's a kind of annihilation of us, of of me, or apparent annihilation of me, which is done by another me, kind of guilty or fed up depressed me rather than, rather than let go of that so our, our depression and our misery is our last and most valued possession <laughs> the right to be miserable <laughs> rather than not be rather than actually just open up to it and say it's this That's how strong attaching is. You just consider, you know, how it is for you, how it is in this in this life. How st- how stuck we can get in moods of dark, negative moods. Why don't Why don't we let go of them? Why don't we Why, why is it so that those are more difficult to let go of than the, than the happy states? Hmm? Because we don't because of the this uh, depression is like uh, a victim cowering in the corner of the prison cell still there and it just kind of is shrunken to a point which is just the sort of you know, gloomy, dismal state. A lot of our practice is, being, is about, you know, as in this life, is to try to experience a sense of communality, of this is rather than I am. So, right, the body is elements, and we change the perceptions that we have you see it as elements, it becomes more like part of the elemental world, like wood, and rock, and earth, and flesh, and bone, and fur, and just these kind of element, elemental qualities, we call them, to simplify matters, just earth, air, fire, and water. You cultivate that kind of perception, internally, externally whatever you've seen or heard touched food in your mouth you chew it is earth and water or heat it's like that it's like your own body eating a sense of uh, empathy non-separation actually comes from is, is conducive to and is enhanced by the experience of anatta, not self. And so often when people kind of come in contact with this idea, as an idea, anatta, not self, they, they, it's interpreted through the mind that always is stuck in self as seeming like a complete denial or an alienation from themselves or an eradication of something. But it may more usefully be understood as no separation, not a separate self. You know, no separation, non-attachment, not pushing away, not holding on to, not saying, "This is mine. I want this for me." Or, "This is not mine. I'm not going to be with that." And on, and working on those energies that keep doing that. If the pain is, is really the suffering in a life is really the, the center of it is this alienation it isn't perhaps the central theme of the way out of it is non alienation getting in touch with sensitivity access communication inner communication as well as external communication in a dialogue, if you like, which doesn't have to be verbal, but, a, but instead of a stiffening up against our experiences, some way in which we investigate them, open to them, don't have fixed views about them. Just like when you're re- trying to actually develop a dialogue with a rather difficult person you have difficulties with, you realise if you can do this skillfully, you've got to stop your fixed views. And be prepared to just be very open and see how it goes. And this is often the way you've got to work with yourself because you are your most difficult person. <laughs> the most difficult relationship you have is with this because the karma why we're born is because we haven't resolved it yet. <laughs> well things that are can be conducive this a way of life why, why is it that we, we are in fact in a, in a summoner lifestyle training in a way to give up our personal options and personal power is because even though this may in some way propel us into the heart of suffering it's also trying to, to create the ground for, for non-separation because we're we're not able to to distance ourselves, to retract. We're not able to gain and own. We're not able to have power over things. So it it removes those things which give us the the sense of being able to be separate individuals (coughs) and therefore amass more causes (coughs) for suffering. Even though in the short term it can be a lot more fun that way enjoyable, and something that the that is considered sort of very standard um, is the qualities of of metta kindness and karuna compassion. These two, kindness and compassion which can be seen as as somehow the same thing, but in the very precise way that the Buddha defined and delineated these terms. Metta is is the wish for well-being, based upon the recognition of well-being, that there is such a thing. And the wish rather than desire means the wish is an actual uh, sending it out, receiving it or sending it out rather than than, where is it, I want it which is desire and compassion which is the recognition of the uh, vulnerability of all beings and the sending out of something that is seeks their safety that doesn't uh, turn away from that is prepared to, to relate to the uh, suffering of beings these two qualities are of course aspects of of love, and they are, they are rather selfless. Not just as ideals, but as, as direct experiences. Now, for example, when, if we try to practice metta ordinarily from the point of view of, of self, then it's we always think it's something we've got to do. I should be a loving kind of person, so I should love you, and you, and you, you know, I don't like you very much, I'll do my best to be nice." Which is quite laudable as a kind of idea, but in meditation, in dharma practice, you're getting to, to a much more direct experience than, than is allowable or is attainable through this self separate position. So it's actually feeling it, not because you want to or you should do, but actually feeling that, having that thing happening, where there is this... Uh, uh, the mind moves towards the well-being of creatures, people, just it tends to see things through that way. And the basis of it is for a, is being able to first of all receive it. So you have to know what it feels like. So often in the meditations for metta, you actually bring up the impression, the image, the sign of someone or something that conduces that kind of feeling in your heart the feeling of loving, admiring, respecting. Uh, so you get that impression in the heart, and then you focus on that impression, then you can let go of the image. And you get that sign, the meta sign of of feeling uplifted, somehow energised, uh, uplifted, and then we we begin to uh, we can put people, we can put things through that. We can cut, we can spread that sign around. First of all, maybe you can only, you can only move it a little way. You can only have it when that image, that favorable image is in your mind. And then when you turn it to something else, it, it disappears. But with a little more practice, you, when you focus on it, then you can turn it towards different objects, or maybe very immediate objects. Perhaps people you feel less admiration for, but you feel quite okay about. I mean, you can see them in that light, see the good side. See the good features, their goodness. Pick up that, and then people who maybe you don't you don't think of very much goodness, and you know, you can still you can still see it in that. Even people who don't, you don't know, don't think of any goodness. Then one uh, one can still find some kind of of experience of, of well of wishing them well. Just that, uh, because you are able to recognize their, uh, their lives, their rights, their, their life as being alive, being human, being animal even, is basically uh, a position, a fortunate position. They're not being uh, brutalized or punished. So you can get a sense of the, the, the wishing well, even people are not, are not in a very good, who don't, you don't think are very good. The fact that you're just wishing them health or the ability to, to perhaps to, to see things more clearly or to improve themselves. There's a supportive rather than negative. At least the level of just refraining, or not feeling that sense of contempt or anger, we can say is is uh, a quality of metta. Is like that, and we also can practice this to the in the various towards the various states of being that we experience in our daily life.